Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Successful Life Podcast is a space where you can hear stories from badass entrepreneurs and influencers that collectively have millions of listeners and followers. You get to hear their backstories and where they are currently. We discuss how precious your life is and crucial it is to live with a purpose and die knowing the person looking in the mirror today. This is the successful life. Corey Barrier, yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn to live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two, one, let's go. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with Dr. Renee. Hey, Dr. Renee, how are you? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. I am so happy that you're on. And I'll tell you, uh, selfishly, um, today I'm, uh, so I'm, I've started my fourth day on a, a water fast. And so this was not planned, obviously, but <laughs> you're, you're like the perfect person to talk to about this and what the benefits that it could do for your brain. But before we dive into all of that, um, so you're an author, you speak, you're a mentor. Tell me a little bit about um tell me a little bit about your book, actually. You you, oh, you mentioned yeah, it earlier. Absolutely. Yeah, let's Well, my book is called The Unbecoming, A Journey Within. It came out January eleventh of two thousand and nineteen. So one one one. I was really, really adamant about that release date of synchronicity. And I started writing the book three years prior. And it was called A Journey Within, and I couldn't figure out how to write it. Every time I tried to write my life story, because I had experienced profound anxiety and panic attack as a kid, I had gone through um, several, you know, crises in my life, traumas, I had overcome cancer, infertility, I had done, you know, all these things that people thought were really interesting, and I said, okay, I'm going to write this book. And I went down to, to, or sat down to write it. And it just wouldn't flow. And I just kind of felt like, why is this not happening for me? And I took a hiatus and I decided I had to do something different. Now, I'm a big sci-fi fantasy kind of fan um, as far as what I read and the shows that I watch, things like that. So I grew up, you know, like Fringe and Supernatural. Those kinds of shows were like the big things that I loved. So I said, you know what? What if I tried writing my life story in a science fiction fantasy kind of way? And that's what ended up happening. So when I sat down to write the book, it only took me 45 days from cover to cover to write the whole thing because I was writing it in the true place of what I you know, really loved. And I didn't get stuck on writing it because I was able to live through the traumas again and tell the story without reliving every ounce of pain in every aspect of my life. So the book is called The Unbecoming. Because I got to a place in life where I realized, as the famous quote said, maybe it's not about becoming anything anymore. Maybe it's about unbecoming and releasing and letting go. And I thought at that moment, I was already, you know, I was 40. And I said to myself, I still felt really heavy. Um, I still felt like I wasn't doing what I wanted to do or where I was at, even though I was happy, I was successful. You know, I had a lot of things going on for me, but I still felt that heaviness spiritually and emotionally. And when I started to kind of retell the story of how I unbecame all of those traumas in my life, I said, 
I wish I had had this 10 years prior. I wonder if people would like this. And I've gotten really great reviews. People, you know, have really said how much it's really moved their lives. And, you know, so I had to write an intro for the book because I'm like, well, people don't understand it because it's my story. And it's basically, you know, this girl who goes through and travels in time and um, all meets these spiritual guides who help her unlearn and unbecome the traumas and letting them go surrendering them once and for all and it so I had to write the intro in a very normal way so people would get an idea where they were going with it but after that I said okay no holds bar I'm writing this how I want to write it and it's been really awesome the second book the sequel is coming out um, probably sometime this fall I thought quarantine would help me write it faster but it's not so it's called in the knowing and it's kind of the where book one ends, which a very, very um, huge sort of cliffhanger takes you into into book two and the knowing, which would be pretty fantastic. So it's a it's a trilogy. I actually have three that I'm writing, or two more that I'll write with this one. Sweet! I did not know yeah. all of that. So who? Yes. Um, okay. So one of the questions, and I don't even usually have questions for people, but <laughs> yeah, um, I because, never do but, either, right? And no, it's so much more fun to just be it, organic. It yeah. really does. But you just said something that was super important to the one question that I had written down, which was, um, as I look over, um, so who have been the most important mentors in your life? Well, it's interesting because um, some are not living anymore and some I've never physically met and might say maybe past lives kind of felt like an influence from them and so my father first and foremost is the one who I really probably suffered the most uh, pain from when he died he was my best friend growing up um, he was my emotional you know sort of um, comfort my whole life because my mom god lover was not you know the typical lovey cuddly kind of mom dad was so you know I kind of benefited from his him in my life and then he um, succumbed to lung cancer which which spread to his brain and I remember I read about this in my book where he came to me in the kitchen one day and he said because he knew I, he was very smart my dad so he helped me study all the way through you know all my degrees until I got into my PhD he died right when I entered my PhD program but um, he was always my study buddy and he told me, he said, I know things are going to change once these tumors go into my brain and I may not be the same again. I know it's really going to hurt you, but I want you to know, you know, that I love you. And he said all the things he needed to say at that moment. And, but then I went into the spiral after he passed away, but he was probably the most quintessential force in my life and still is, you know, he is, he was just such a beautiful soul. And um, I'd say beside that, my children, you know, now, because everything that I went through, I was so paranoid, like anxiety and panic attacks and, um, you know, the cancer and all these kinds of things. I was so worried, like genetically, would it happen to my children? Should I have children? Shouldn't I have children? And now I'm so blessed that I did. And it's the greatest thing I do every single day. So I just watch them. I follow their lead. They inspire me. Uh, my son has probably more uh, Instagram followers than some basic human beings on the planet. He's already got a huge platform and he's nine. Um, so he's really inspiring. And then uh, I would say probably like the non-living people. I've always been fascinated with um, graceful really compassionate leaders, you know, our Mother Teresa's of the time and Grace Kelly, you know, that kind of energy is something that I really, really work to espouse and who I am and, and what I do. And then obviously my, the love of my life, my fiance, he's my writing coach and um, really has helped me bring all of this together in my life as well. That's fantastic. So thank you. You know, I think I love the story about your dad because, mm. you know, I don't think that I've ever heard anybody tell me that they had a loved one, father, mother, whoever, come to them and say, you know, I know things are going to change. Like you said, that's pretty profound. And yeah. he was way ahead of the curve because most people yeah. don't do that. Why is that? You know, my dad was this really interesting spirit that... Um, he was very introverted, yet 
you know, was dynamic with those that he really loved and where he worked. I mean, my dad was like a, a machinist for General Motors. So, I mean, he had no, you know, he didn't go to school. He didn't even graduate high school, but he was one of those people who could figure anything out. He was so smart, you know, and um, charming and just witty and everybody loved him, but yet he was suffering. He was suffering from great bouts of depression. His sister had passed away when he was younger. He had never really gotten over that. He had panic and anxiety um, that he never understood. And so it always kind of, when he would be going through a moment, he would be on the couch for quite some time, you know? And that's why I went into the field of psychology was I was going to try to really take care of my dad, you know? And, and then I realized, oh, I have all these issues too. So let me try to fix myself on top of all of it. But he you know, really was one of these people I write about in my book that I feel like are these spirits that kind of cross over in time, you know, they come back for a very significant purpose, but they're not here for a really long period of time. And I think that's his purpose was for me to develop into what I am and for my children particularly to be who they are now. And I think that's why he knew what he did because that's why he was here in the first place. That's a great answer. Yeah. That's a great yeah. answer. Wow. You know, I, I agree. I think people, everybody, no matter when it, they come into our lives, serve a purpose, you know, and yeah. whether that be a, a good purpose or a bad purpose, typically, well, I suppose it's, yeah. it's perspective, really. But, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, yeah. So that's, that's, that's awesome. Gosh, I'm just taken back at what, you know, how – the fourth, uh, I guess the fourth foresight, forethought, whatever it was that, whatever you call it, maybe the words yeah. got mixed up. So, um, okay. I have to ask really quick. So the, do you know, Dr. Amen? That's a stupid question. Of course, you know, Dr. Amen. Yes. So do you agree with most of what he says as far as, um, the the sugar the sugar free stuff and the impact that it has on the brain this episode of the successful life podcast is brought to you by house call pro whether you're looking to streamline your operations reduce paperwork or boost revenue house call pro is your all-in-one business solution transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Well, you know, and, and it's funny because when asked these kinds of things, and yet when I think about the lifestyle that I kind of live, I don't always practice what I preach, which is really interesting in moments. But what I have really learned in my own research, my own experience working with uh, children, adolescents, young adults now for 23 years, you know, in my career as a professor, as a researcher, you know, and as a practitioner is people have varying responses based on a variety of differences. And so it's really hard. That's why I'm really scared right now in this pandemic with, you know, the, the prescription protocol, because I know for a fact I could not take um, the drug that they're prescribing that's used for, you know, arthritis and things like that because I have RA. And so it's really interesting that some are immunosuppressants, some are, right, uprisers of your immune system. And if you don't get that right one with that right person and how the virus is impacting the body, you could actually, you could really hurt somebody with the medication. So I understand why they're really preaching for the trials, but when we got people passing away, the mercy treatment sort of gets the priority, even though we might not be giving it to the right person. And so I know that's kind of a different explanation, but it's the same thing for sugar. It's the same thing for any chemical because every body metabolizes and responds very differently. Some people do really well. On, on natural sugar, some people cannot do sugar substitutes or, you know, or other types of grown sugar sources and things like that. So I think people have to be really cautious. I think people have to know their bodies. As an intuitive psychologist, this is really important to me. I really spend a lot of time training people how to listen to their body. 
um, really how to get in, in touch with what it needs, how to trust it. So even if it says to have salt, even if it says to have sugar, even if it says to have something that you normally said, I'm not doing any of that ever again, um, you got to learn to trust it. You have to know. And I was vegan for a really long time um, after my cancer diagnosis. And I started to lift that a little bit in some ways because my body just needed certain things. But other people can live their whole life 100% you know, vegan and have no issue. So I think when we look at the impact on the brain, you know, I really, I haven't dug into the numbers as far as like the ends and the, and the overall responses in that research, but I would venture to say, you know, how many women were in that? How many people under certain ages, above certain ages? Um, how many people with immunosuppression, you know, and compromised systems? Because everybody is so different. So I think it kind of depends is my end answer to that one. Sure. So um, let me ask you this then. What do you do you know okay so he mentions he talks about and, and i'm just a huge fan of his so i yeah the, and i so he talks about the microbiome and how the brain is connected to the microbiome can you can you expand on that a little bit and how gut health and brain health are um correlated i guess is the right word yeah, absolutely. And you know what's really interesting? I talked about this on my podcast not that long ago. I was shocked that recent research data of um, primary, you know, internal medicine physicians, your everyday doctors we all go to first, right? Our primary care physicians. 50% are still split down the middle in believing in the mind-body-spirit connection. 50% don't think it's a significant player in overall medicinal routines. And 50% say, yes, they absolutely believe that the mind and the spirit and other parts of the body are greatly connected in their health. I was dumbfounded that that many, 50% primary care physicians, you know, I was like, are, are they older? Are they, you know, I was trying to figure this out. So, so well, let me just stop you for a moment. So are you saying that 50% of primary care physicians don't believe there's a connection? For that study, yes. And I can send you the link for that if you want to put it on there. But it was really interesting. It was, you know, the N was significantly large. It was a major New England um, study, you know, so variety of different uh, universities, um, you know, practicing doctor offices, uh, cluster offices, all that kind of stuff. It wasn't just like little individual mom and pop. Sometimes it was, you know, the big organizational units as well. But they said that about 50% when polled said that they did not fully believe in the mind, body, spirit, that they felt traditional medicine was more effective. And I was just like, wow, having been somebody who was diagnosed with melanoma cancer and decided to take on a very um, holistic treatment and routine first. Now, my dad had gone through chemo, radiation. Um, it was effective for a while, but I saw how much he struggled, you know, and I said, I don't want to do that. I want to try to figure out what else we can do. So we did the surgery. I changed the way I ate. I changed the way that I um, interacted with my body. I changed my spiritual practice. I did everything. And I remember going into the doctor one day and they were checking the tumors that had um, moved into my kidneys after that. He said, well, the one's gone. Where'd it go? I said, how do I know where it went? Why would I have, you know, I didn't do anything. He said, well, what are you doing? And I just told him what I was doing. He said, well, keep doing it. And I went in again for the second tumor and it was shrunk in half. Now that one is still in my body, but it hasn't grown in four or five years now, almost five years. Um, and so everything is so important because like you said, with the gut health, you know, if you are not recognizing the importance of that being almost like the fertile land of the entire body. When that one is out of whack, particularly for women, everything is a mess. I mean, you're talking about hormonal shifts, you're talking about UTI problems, you're talking about other major organ issues, skin, hair issues, everything you can imagine. And so by focusing on that one particular aspect of our body, our digestive right elements right there and how powerful it is, you improve brain performance, you improve memory function, because you lower your cortisol levels, you're lowering your hormone responses. It makes sense, but you're also keeping your flora levels normal for women. You're just kind of keeping everything at bay. Now, some people though, 
they kind of abuse it by taking probiotics, um, which they might not need. And some people's bodies don't react very well to probiotics, you know, so you got to be really careful, um, especially for those of us who have had cancer or pre-existing medical conditions. We can't just go taking a bunch of stuff and doing all these cleanses of our body. It can actually have really adverse reactions. So we have to be really careful and all of that. But as far as all the response to brain health, being linked to gut health, absolutely, 100%. But everyone doesn't get there in the same way, if that makes sense. Like you, you know, the water cleanse is fantastic, but for some people, they might want to do something different, you know? Um, me having hormonal issues because of the result of the cancer that I had, um, I can actually raise certain levels of my body in very uh, toxic ways. Um, if I'm not careful, I can't go extremes and things like that in a health way. So I just think people have to be you know, really cautious about what they're doing. And this is just one person. Remember all the other doctors? And I love him, I do. But remember all the other doctors who came out at one time or another about their diet and what they proposed and all those kinds of things? It's just about finding what is really going to make sense for you and also is going to honor your body to the best possible benefit. Yes, that makes that makes total sense. And I think one of yeah. the things, and I don't know if you just said it, but you said it at some point, you had you said you know you have to listen to your body and if your body reacts to something you need to either make a mental note or or whatever the case may be in order yeah. to avoid whatever that is and you've got to stop thinking right you've got to stop you've got to turn your brain off because if you think about uh well i should just try this one more time then you'll convince yourself that you need to eat the cookie if that's what's tearing your stomach up. For me, yeah. I, I, I hate to admit this, but I think it's the sugar-free stuff. And I've been dealing with this for about seven or eight months. And I, I th and that's why I'm doing the fast, that and yeah. in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, some people have really come to the conclusion that some of those things are far more toxic than, than the natural remedies out there. But again, it just, it really, really varies. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really important, like you're talking about, about listening to your body. I remember every night um, when I was going through my therapies, like every night I would just lay in bed and I would just get really, really quiet. I would literally begin to listen for vibrations in my body. I would um, talk to my body in a way, you know, within my own mind. It wasn't out loud being, you know, those kinds of things, but talking to my body within myself. I was particularly talking to my kidneys. I was reminding them that I trusted and had the most utmost faith in what they were doing. And I know that they were feeling taxed, but I really, really believed in their ability to heal me and to do what they needed to do. I mean, nobody teaches us to stuff, you know, um, to sit there and try to heal our own bodies in a way. I am all for traditional medications. I'm actually on antibiotics right now. You know, it's allergy season, things like that. Sometimes, you know, I get to a point where I had um, sepsis a couple of years ago. I almost passed away because the infection can go into my bloodstream really, really fast. So I have to watch that. But trust me, it was a month that I tried without it. And then I just had to go, you know, and did it. But, um, you know, not everybody needs those kind of things. You can try things, but again, you've got to know. And the important thing I was saying to my fiance today was I even felt my body was talking to me today, but I couldn't quite figure it out. Um, you know, and he's very spiritual and, and as I am, and he's leaning in and he's listening and he's like, okay, what, what, what do you, what, what's coming up for you? What, what's really on the agenda here? What do you think it really is? And we came to the conclusion that we're, you know, I've been feeling a lot of things coming up over the last couple of weeks as a lot of people have, but, but mine is sort of a purge, you know, it's a, I want to get out of here already um, kind of thing. And I think it's indicative of some emotions and things like that, that we're still kind of left there. So yeah, I think when, when we're talking about things that, you know, addictions, behaviors, you know, really strong responses that we've had to the ways that we eat, things like that. I had a chocolate allergy for a really long time. And finally, I just said, you know what, I don't want to be allergic to chocolate anymore. I just simply don't. But I'm still allergic to some, some types of chocolate, but not all. 
And I just decided I was going to reintroduce this chocolate into my life. And everyone's like, my God, you could die. Do you have your EpiPen? I'm like, yes, I've got my EpiPens. And my son was trained in how to use it. And I took one bite of it and my tongue, of course, you know, puffed up a little bit, but I knew how to not make it go the rest of the way. And I was like, okay, so, so here's the situation with that. Why am I allergic to chocolate? Okay, the traditional doctors who don't believe in the mind-body-spirit thing would say, well, it's because, you know, your immune system is uh, recognizing it as, you know, an enemy, and so your immune system is rising too high, which is kind of what's happened to the people who are dying of the COVID night, right? right now. Most of those people, um, it's their immune systems kicking in too high um, and they're actually dying from their immune response and their organs are shutting down more so from that than they actually are from the virus, the people who end up passing. So it's the same thing for those of us who have allergies. Our body just kicks in and wants to fight this thing. And I said, well, why does it want to fight it? Like what else is happening in my body inflammation wise that's making my body think that the presence of these certain things is a problem. And so that's when the spiritual work really came in, you know, really um, deep therapeutic relaxation, meditation. Oops, I'm sorry, my phone almost timed out there. <laughs> deep relaxation, meditation, those kinds of things went a hell of a long way, I have to tell you. And you know, Joe Dispenza can prove this with significant ends and scientific research beyond that, that there's a lot to be said about the power of our own reaction to calming ourselves down emotionally and then the inflammation goes down and then the dietary structures don't have to be as strict and our body metabolizes much better because we're metabolizing our emotions that's something we never learn how to do is to metabolize our emotional sense and when we learn that a lot of the dietary stuff just kind of comes in line with those kinds of things yeah absolutely so you know one of the things that i, I was thinking about when you said that is you know, you don't have to believe every thought that comes into your brain, you know, and, and what made me think of it is Joe Dispenza. I'm not sure if he's the one that said it or not. Um, but I thought that was so interesting because that it's so true. Just like the last, you know, three days, I've, my brain has said, Hey, you need to, <laughs> you're you having need, hallucinations. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty close. <laughs> not even lying. So wait it, till your dreams tonight. Wait, you said it's day four. Yes, we started oh, day yeah. four at 12 o'clock today, and we're just yeah. going to... So you're going to peak. You'll peak five, right? And so your dream state might be a little wonky, but you'll start coming back down after that. So if you have visitors in your dreams, <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> That's so funny. But, you know, it's... I, and, and when I say don't believe every thought, meaning like, you know, yeah. if I would have believed every thought, hey, you only need to go three days. I, I don't believe any. I don't believe any thoughts that I have anymore. It sounds crazy, it. right? No, no, I don't believe any. I, I don't believe it, any. it doesn't sound crazy. Go. Yes. Yeah. So I taught a whole course last year called Living and Loving from Your Heart. And it was so important to me because when I started this relationship with my fiance a couple years ago, I remember one thing you said to me. He said, I, I'm going to make a promise to you as, we, as I come into this relationship. I said, what is that? He said, I will always live fundamentally and, and wholeheartedly from my heart space. I have I've been dominated by my brain most of my life, and it's what led me to the demise of every prior relationship I was ever in. And I owe you the space to live straight from here and not upstairs. And I was fascinated by this. I was like, teach me. Why? I got to know what you're doing because, you know, as an anxious individual and a scientist, I was totally revolving around my headspace and memory was playing such a huge role in the quality of my life. And some of it was just bad historical memory that didn't have to be present, but it just kept being present, right? And so everything in my life now that I really try to do is every thought that even comes, you know, I remember what I know as a, as a you know, person in the field of, of psychology is that most memory is actually written with, you know, pits and valleys of decay over time. Uh, we may, our brain makes up stories to fill spaces and gaps because it hates spaces and gaps, right? And so it puts in false memories. You can look those up on YouTube. Those videos are wow, the way the false memories are created. And many kids, because of survival instincts and egocentric tendencies, which they're supposed to have as little kids to survive, um, 
it, everything is about them. And so of course they're gonna blow things out of proportion, tell stories, tell fibs, tell lies. So it's really hard to get a good sense of whose brain is really more accurate. Um, and so I fundamentally just said to myself, my brain has never served me well other than academics, but even there it caused a lot of rumination and worry and anxiety and stuff like that over time. So how do you live from your heart? And there's a lot of research out there, empirical research now on heart virtues, the wisdom of the heart, um, the heart having its own intelligence system. We've got whole schools like heart math um, that are being used in public schools now and parochial schools around the US um, that are teaching kids how to fundamentally get into this energy within their heart and to trust their brain less as the first line of defense. When you, when you live and rule from the heart and you begin to trust that wisdom, it takes a little bit longer to tell the story. So you know that once the story evolves, it's a more accurate story. But people want now, now, now. Why did he leave me? Why did she say that? What is that boss mad at me? You know, it's that kind of stuff. So the brain goes, yeah, he doesn't like you. Yeah, this happened. Oh, he left you for this. Where the heart's going to tell you the truth, but it won't come to you today. It might come to you next week or next month. And people hate that. People hate it. And so when you really can wait and be more quiet and you can not be forced to have to make decisions like that all the time, then the, the brain actually starts to align really nicely with the rhythm of the heart and the brain actually starts to slow down and you start to notice you don't have as much brain fog and your response time is slower, but it's more accurate. And I think that this pandemic is causing a lot of people to see that happening because we're having all this stuff that we can't do anything about and now we're just feeling things emotionally. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I never listen to my head anymore as the first line. I'll go there like three, four, fifth step. And that's probably about it. That's fascinating. I did not, I, I didn't, I have never really thought of it that way. That's super yeah. interesting though. So tell me, um, and the people listening, like how, okay, so if, Give me an example of a time that you chose to listen to your heart opposed to your brain and you figured out, okay, it served me because the fact is, right, we have to, we have to prove to our brain that something is true in order for us to believe it. Right. Uh -huh. Because, you know, it, except for like, Driving, well, not driving would be a great example. You didn't know how to drive when you were 16, but then you turned 16 and you figured it out. And now you don't have to worry about having to back out of the driveway because you instinctually know how to do that. Yeah. So, so almost lost my question, but. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm following. I get so, it. Yeah. So um, I think I did lose the question, but since you're following, you. I'm following I, it. Yeah. No, no worries. I'll help you out here. So, oh, yeah. so, the, Paul, so the, the first thing you mentioned right there was automaticity, right? So when we learn how to drive, we're actually not utilizing the thought processes and the way that we were when we first learned how to drive, right? So we go into automaticity, which is almost like, um, which is an aspect of memory, right? So we think about the, the memory process. We've got the sensory register, which leads to the working memory, which then we've got to utilize strategies to get it to long-term memory. And we've got to somehow retrieve it. And sometimes that fails, um, right? Otherwise, everybody would be an A student. And, you know, then we get it back in the working memory, which has the central executive, and it says, is this still useful? Okay, yes, but this has changed. And it just, that's why we don't have short-term memory anymore. We have working memory in the middle. So now everything just keeps working. Everything keeps revolving, but it's memory. And so that's what's really important. So if you recognize that most of your cognitive thoughts are stored memories, not present moments. So very little of what's happening to you right now are you actually processing everything is coming off i sound so 1980s right like the old reels you remember like like the like the, the old 35 millimeter movies in school i'm that old and i just remember like when they would break and it'd be like you know and it'd go like that that's unfortunately what memory does to us memory creates inaccuracies but it also creates accurate stories that are based on emotional reactions in a different time and space. So for my life, the biggest problem was in my new relationship. I had gone through a divorce. I had 
previously prior to, you know, um, my marriage, I was in a very narcissistic relationship. I didn't have, you know, my, my kid's father was a, you know, very wonderful man, but you know, men prior to that, yuck. Um, I did not have a good history. And unfortunately I had all these stories about men and about relationships and one thing after the other stored up, stored up, stored up. So no matter what poor soul was coming into my life, that story real was playing out for every innocent soul who was coming into my life. So the first minute that he demonstrated anything that was connected to any other behavior, even though I wasn't trying to do that, my brain would kick in. Uh, uh, there you go. Just like the other one. Oh, he said that. Nope. Oh my God. You know, Oh, this is that one again. This is that one again. And Oh, these kinds of things. And you become this compulsive worrier who can't even be in the present moment because you're letting the brain lead the the relationship you're letting the brain tell you these people are okay because it's rating them based on prior knowledge of everybody else and that's simply not fair as you know there are some basic things of course you want to know you know basic behaviors is this a sociopath is it this is it that but honestly it's not the most significant thing in the first moment that you're meeting somebody and then when you start to meet some or you're starting to have a relationship and everybody else is present in your relationship with the two of you, you know you have a problem. And so that was when I began to really just trust my heart, you know, and really say, you know, this feeling that I'm having right now that I'm afraid, right, my emotional engagement to the wisdom of my heart. Um, let me let me shift that into wisdom and let me think instead of fear. Let me go into the wisdom of the heart and say, I honor and acknowledge why I'm fearful right now in this relationship, but it isn't connected to him. It's connected to other people. Do it, does my heart feel that he deserves a chance until proven otherwise? Yes, he does. And so I had to really learn to sort of let a lot of those stories go, a lot of those attachments to and drama right i was so attached to drama of emotion um, and let that go and just let the heart feel and if it was to feel pain it needed to feel pain um, but most of the time when you don't let your head get connected the heart actually doesn't feel like it's experienced as much pain as it used to so i know that was a long description but i it, i think it was probably the greatest thing in my life and also with my my children you know i'm i'm constantly right here for them not not thinking about what happened in my childhood and you know did i live that experience and i don't want them to live that experience i let all that go there's no way that's coming in for my kids because mm -mm. that's why i have panic disorder because my mother lived like that and and that's one way to break that generational wounding is living from your heart so i think that's an interesting point you said your your, your mother used to live that way you know yeah can, can you share with everybody like how much how much are we how much is it generational meaning if my mom has bipolar if she has depression and she has anxiety what are the chances of me genetically inheriting inherit in did i say that right inheriting doesn't, yeah that doesn't sound right for some reason but anyway you know yeah. i'm following you I'm, i got you today i've got you today so don't worry I appreciate yeah that. Okay, so here's some more cool stuff, okay? So not only the brain wisdom stuff, which is like super ass cool, right? So the other, the other really cool research I'm really living into these days is epigenetics. So as you know, epigenetics simply means our ability to, to undo the genetic coding, right? That we thought that we were so bound to. So my father had a stroke, had cancer. His mother had a stroke. Uh, my mom's dad had cancer. So genetic probability for me, it doesn't look so good, does it? You know, for a lot of things, even though my cancer was very different than my dad's cancer, but um, you know, those kinds of things. But there is something to be said in epigenetic research today that shows us that we can undo, unravel, unbecome, hence the, you know, the weird uncanniness of that to my book. Some of those programs and codes don't have to live out. They just don't have to live out. They're still present, right? They're still there because they're your story. They're your memory of your history. But we know from, a, from the research that it's about two to three generations back 
that your coding within is stored up. So probably most likely two. So we say great grandmother, right? Um, or mom, grandmother, it'd be grandmother to great grandmother is most likely who you, whose life you're living out right now. So I was interviewed about this on a radio show a while ago out of Seattle. And it was a really cool conversation because I remember the caller calling in and saying, well, how do I know if this is mine? And how do I know that any of the things that I'm feeling, this depression is mine, this is, you know, and it, it probably isn't. It probably isn't. Because if we are already coming from that perspective that we know genetically we're wound to live the emotional connection of that person two generations back, if we are not aware of that, then we just go out living that thinking it's ours. And so genetics play a huge role but not in the way that they have to, because it takes wisdom again, that it's like, oh, well, my grandmother had bipolar, or, oh, I found out that my grandmother, poor soul, was actually like put away in kind of like one of those residential places when she was going through menopause, the poor thing, because they didn't understand menopause back then. And, you know, I remember when I went into perimenopause and my mom brought that up, oh you're acting crazy just like your grandmother because it was my dad's mom and so I thought how convenient that was for her to say that to me because again she didn't like how I was acting you know and so the genetic part was powerful because I realized I could let some of that wheel loosen up over time by simply acknowledging it and saying that a lot of this isn't mine and so how do I let that go? How do I set some of that down and just have the weight of what's really mine and so much lighter? And, you know, the other thing with epigenetics, which is super cool, women that are considering having babies, if you do the work before you have a baby, think about how powerful that is because we actually transfer stress, anxiety, cortisol in utero. So if we're having less of those stress responses, we're going to have healthier emotional babies. And it's not too late, though, um, you know, if you've already had a child, um, just that both people would have to do that work, you know, to kind of undo some of that emotional baggage. So, again, mind, body, spirit alignment. I don't know how people still don't think it exists, but it's powerful. And again, Joe Dispenza, he does major lab research on this, showing the reversal of many of these generational patterns and wounds being let go. And absolutely i'm all for it yeah yeah me too and you know i so can you give the listeners an idea of let's just say you know let's let's uh let's hope that someone's pregnant that or that someone's <laughs> about to be pregnant yeah that, in this pandemic there's going to be many right yeah so right. we'll see yeah yeah so how do you you said you know you've got to make sure that you're uh you've got to make sure that you're I don't know the exact word you said. You just said it, but total brain fog. If you're carrying your um, own. Yeah. So how does somebody get in? Uh, how does a mother or pre-mother get into that shape, so to speak, that you were discussing, that you were referring to, opposed to, I'm guessing, doing it after the fact is probably the percentage of success is probably far less, one. And two, it, it's far probably not even likely that the mother is going to do it after the fact. Oh yeah, you'd be so busy. And then you're going to have your own new stress level, right? right? And so it's harder. It's really harder. But, you know, one of the things that's important, and this is a very spiritual explanation, because in order to really determine what energy is ours and not ours, takes a little bit of investigation, right? We can't just lay there and be like, okay, this is grandma's, you know? Um, sometimes it does take uh, some spiritual intervention, some energy workers, things like that, if you believe in those kinds of things. Um, there's great people who do soul retrieval, um, energy refragmentation, where they can go ahead and really look into things and figure out, um, you know, for me as a very young child, I faced a lot of traumas. So there were very many fragmented pieces um, that sort of broke off in me emotionally that went down below my conscious, right? So that's how the shadow gets formed. And so, you know, people who are trained, such as myself and other people who know how to look for that. Um, there's people out there who do really cool things like quantum EFT, which is emotional freedom technique, which a lot of you guys probably know, which is simply the tapping that a lot of people use for stress. 
there's a quantum aspect now added within it where we can actually, I'm not trained in quantum EFT, but my best, one of my best friends is, um, who can actually take you into past lives and find these emotional triggers. Um, and it's super cool. I had one session and I was sold. I was like, oh my God. Um, hypnotherapists can really help you make sure they're trained and didn't get their license out of Cracker Jack box, please. Because um, anybody can be a hypnotherapist today and that scares me. But those kinds of people can help you or you can just really begin to do some deep level meditation and relaxation and, you know, think to yourself about, you know, what was your greatest emotional trigger? And was it mom's words? Was it mom's actions? Did you really do anything? Or was it more mom's response and reaction to what she thought you were doing, which was more her own fears and pensiveness about things that happened to her? Right. And so you can begin to do, I do this, what we call emotional calibration, where we'll dig through some of your early traumas. Um, I kind of use the ACEs study kind of stuff where we really measure the level of trauma and number of traumas that you might have as a child and look at those and try to thread them on a spectrum of emotionality. What are your highs and your lows compared to your normal um, frequency of your emotions. And we, if there's really these highs and lows, that's a good sign that those aren't yours. Um, and it allows us to kind of begin to reorganize and, and deconstruct some of that. Um, and that's a big part of the unbecoming is the deconstruction. I don't want to be this anymore because this isn't even mine. And even if it is mine, I don't like it. And I don't want to take it with me anymore. And we can begin to deconstruct those components and build back up in the reconstruction phase who I really want to be moving forward. So that's a lot of explanation, but there's spiritual things, there's traditional medical hypnosis, there's everyday practice. Um, you know, traditional therapy can be really helpful as well. And, and somebody who's trained more on the emotional side, like a gestalt theorist or therapist, or somebody who use, utilizes a combined theory, cognitive behavioral therapy, I don't think I'll get you there by itself, but other types of therapies can be helpful. That's, that was a great, that was a great answer. Great answer. Thank you. Um, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, that, um, you know, so, sorry, I, you, I'm, thank God you're a psychiatrist because you like, or psychologist, whichever <laughs> it is. You're, 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 you're sitting there thinking like, I know what he's going through. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm an intuitive too, so I could maybe even like begin to read your thoughts. Don't get me going, but no, I'm right. just Now, do you also, let me just ask you this, um, and we'll, we'll wrap up here in a moment, but do you also, uh, do you, have you studied micro expressions? No, no, I haven't studied it, but I mean, I've read and have become familiar and things like that. So have you been interested? Have you been looking into it? So my wife actually is, she's a micro expression expert. Nice. Yeah. So meaning when I say that's what they call her expert, meaning uh -huh. she took, she spent hours and hours with the, to take a class and pass, right. pass the test and so on and so forth. It's interesting. Now did she do it with the emotion coding, coding program and stuff like that? Or was it something separate? I don't know what you mean by emotional coding. It's a program. It, it's a big training program, things like that, where people teach you, you know, the basic um, language of emotions, how the brain codes them, how the body reacts to them, um, how to read them via people practice. It's kind of like a combined program with NLP sometimes. It's one of those ones that, you know, it's like the massive life coaching field out there. there so, there's a dime a dozen of them, but right. some of them are good. Yes, yeah, so when uh, when we, I, I don't know the answer to your question, but she was taking um, her NLP certification at the same time, so it's hard okay. to say. Um, but like, it's interesting because she can tell with your eyes which way you know if you're thinking about something or if you remember something, and which yeah. also is NL, NLP. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, the last thing I was going to ask you is um you know i want to know obviously where people can find you which we'll get to but i want you to also have you um can you also talk about what's coming up or did you already do that with your oh book? yeah well the second book will be out later this year pray 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 for us um you know and things like that um the third book 
has been kind of just laying in creation phase, but it almost came easier than book two, but I can't release book three before I release book two, which is really hard. So I've got to get this written, but um, hopefully that'll be out. Uh, we are, we had a bunch of live events planned prior to the pandemic and now we're all on hold, but um, we are going to be doing some live events probably coming up, hopefully by September, all goes well in the world. Um, but, you know, I definitely do a lot of healing um, events and things like that in person as well as online, um, helping people to begin to, you know, really trust their intuition related to their body and their emotions and their own well-being. And I do a lot with schools um, as well, which are not in work, right, right in service right now, but teaching children about meditation and Qigong healing. And so you'll see a lot of that coming out probably in the next year. So, okay. So now I have another question. So you, so you go in and teach kids about meditation? I do. Yeah, absolutely. That and my son, so cool. my son is a big one. He's always on my page and in my story, he does a lot of the Qigong. Oh, sorry. My phone it's keeps okay. coming through. I thought I shut that off, but sorry, um, he, my son, yeah, he's a, a big, um, one who does meditation with me and Qigong healing. My daughter has been doing meditation. She's, my son just turned nine yesterday. Um, my daughter is going to be 11 in a couple of months and she's been meditating for eight, over eight years. So yes, I love when I go into the schools and they see me and they're like, oh, Dr. Renee, they're already sitting on the floor and they're all ready, um, you know, to do it. And they giggle and they think it's funny while you're doing it and you can't do it for 25 minutes or anything like that. Sometimes you get five and seven and that's all you get. But the moving meditation like Qigong is really cool, especially for boys, you know, who's lacking frontal lobe at that point of fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Um, and they really learn to appreciate it and, and feel like they have a good sense of control, you know, over themselves, which is nice to see. So, mm -hmm. That's incredible. Do you realize like you're changing like the future of so many lives? Yeah. And that was, you know, as an educational psychologist, I mean, this is, you know, I've always been school based, you know, I was a teacher first and then became a professor and I'm still connected because my students that I train are all former or future teachers, counselors, psychologists, nurses, they're all in the service industry. And so I still get to go to the schools and see the great work they're doing. And then I go, you know, and do workshops and things like this too. But this has been, this is my purpose. This is why I'm here is predominantly to work with the kids. So, and it's nice to work with the adults because then it gets to the kids, right? Um, and it's, I love when the adults come to me and they're like, oh, my kid's having a problem. I need you to work through it. And then I end up coaching them instead of their kid. But um, I love, I love working with the kids. It's the greatest. That's incredible. Yeah, that's, that's super, super impressive. How old of the, how old of, so when you go in and do a class, a meditation class, what, what age group are we talking like? Oh, and anywhere from eight and up so third grade and up you know k through two even though i've worked with the kindergartners oh god um it's a little frustrating because you know again their attention span is like three seconds and they want to know more about you so the moving meditation like qigong and other things like that are really beautiful or just basic general elements of martial arts can even be really beneficial beneficial with breath work for them or you can just have them focus on something like go outside and take a walk and there's this little you know drop of water on this little leaf let's look at it you know and let's look at it in the sun let's look at it over here did it change what did you see what do you what do you hear right now that's all meditation really is right is learning how to focus on something and acknowledge the presence of everything else without it letting or influencing you and so when you can do that with the little ones but i tend to prefer like third grade and and up so i think that's interesting that that you said you know meditation it's so funny because i just had this conversation with a patient of mine it's long story i i do yeah. this it, it's called um aat which is a sort of awareness technique have you ever heard uh -huh. of it yeah, oh, yeah. Have you? Yeah. No way. Yes, yes. So yeah. I have one patient that, that comes to see me that she's been with me for six years because, honest to God, she was 38, maybe 39, eight, somewhere in that vicinity when she started. And, like, this woman could barely walk. And, like, she comes to me every week, 
and she's good. Like for the rest of the week, she go goes to the mall. Not now, but before this whole thing shut down. Right, prior to pandemic, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, uh, so I was talking to her about meditation today and I was explaining to her, you know, there's so many different schools of thought on meditation. And one of the things is that, you know, that I've heard is to quiet your mind and not think about anything. Mm. Yes, so tell me, because that seems crazy to me. So when I, I have been very fortunate to be able to go to India and um, I travel quite often prior pandemic um, and we'll be going back. And one of the greatest things that I learned while in India was the truest essence of meditation compared to Western forms and, you know, manipulations of meditation. And the be- most beautiful thing was the acceptance of the, the presence of everything. It's the everything versus the nothing is what they taught me, that in nothing there is everything, and in everything there eventually will be nothing. And it's important that you can recognize which one is which at that moment, and to always be accepting, acknowledging, and present no matter what it was. So sometimes there's nothing happening, and your brain will go, oh my god, there's nothing, right? It doesn't like that there's nothing. And you're like, this is the acceptance of nothing. And then all of a sudden a bird chirps, all of a sudden you hear something, all of a sudden this moves, that's okay. You know, everything has to exist for nothing to exist. If you're forcing your mind to focus on nothing, and then when something shows up, you're angry at it, or you feel as though you failed at it, you've missed the whole duality of the balance of the universe. And so you have to just be able to accept the fact that you can still sit there for 20 minutes amidst noise. It's still benefiting your heart rate. It's still benefiting your overall pulse and your overall health and information level that everything is okay, even when nothing is not there, right? And so that's really the kind of, and that's going to be chapter four of my book, Everything and Nothing. Um, It's really important to understand that duality. Fantastic. Such a good answer because, you know, I struggle with, I shouldn't say struggle. I just, sometimes I, you know, I've listened to so many podcast or or you know i listen to dr amen or joe spin whoever and you hear so many different ideas behind meditation and so i think it's really confusing and that's probably because human human nature messes things up yeah and it's a way of life right so that's another western ideal that meditation is an activity it's something you show up with in your schedule for 15 minutes and over here where when you go to places like India and Nepal and other places that are like profoundly deeply devout in meditation as a daily element, it is their life. It's part of their life. Oh, I feel stressful right now. You know, and it's like, they immediately know what to do. It isn't, I got to go schedule it and I have to figure out how to make this work in my day. It's, I am existing amidst this element of meditation. And as a result of that, all of these other things come into my life and play in that. It's not, I go to meditate to get rid of this stuff. And I think when you can shift your mindset to that, I, it was, it's never been the same for me. It's always just kind of accelerated into peace and relaxation. Am I still stressed? Of course. You know, I'm a, I'm a mom of two and, you know, I'm a career woman. I've got all these things, but it's a, it's my life now. It's not just what I do. And I think that makes a big difference. You are so, so that was such a great fucking explanation. Like (laughs) that is, that's so good. So so, good. Um, That, that was the best thing I think I've, or that, whatever. That was perfect. Yeah, and I can't take credit for that. That that really comes from a friend of mine, David, um, who really, really pushed that, you know, into my heart and made me understand why that was so important. But I really do hope, you know, people adopt that way of being. So Yeah, I agree. So how many just all right, last, 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 last question. How yes, many times yes. do you do you meditate once a day, twice a day, or when you feel like it? How does that work for you? It's just as it comes. So sometimes it's really interesting that I can even meditate standing up. I can even meditate, you know, sitting in a classroom. Um, I can just kind of go into those moments because it's just everything for me now. Um, so I would say sometimes there's you know, probably multiple times in a day. 
and maybe on other days there's just a few, you know? So it really depends on when my body just kind of shifts me into that moment. So right before I came on with you, I had a moment and I was like, oh, it's, I'm going in. And I did, I went in and it was probably about 10 or 12 minutes. It wasn't that long, but it just happens. And I just kind of come back and it's, it's nice. It's really nice compared to the girl who tried meditating 20 years ago and was like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was like monkey brain. Yeah. So true. So um, could you tell everybody, Renee, where to find you on social yes. and website and all that good stuff? So my, the biggest platform I have is Instagram. You can find me at dr.renee um, and or doctor. Yes. Dr.renee Mudre. That's it on Instagram. And yes. on Facebook, I am Transcendent Heart Life Coaching. And I'm trying to think on Twitter, I'm Dr. Mudre, it's capital M, lowercase u, capital D, R-E-Y, it's my last name, so Dr. Mudre. I hardly ever use Twitter, but if you want to hook me up there, go ahead. Um, and then my website is transcendentheart.com. Oh, and then my podcast, The Inner Revolution. So uh, yeah, check that out as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. You have been got so much knowledge. This has been fantastic. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful day and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. If you took anything away from this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a review and go check out some other episodes on SuccessfulLifePodcast.com. This is the Successful Life. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.